on a weekly basis, I find myself asking the same question. It's probably a question you ask yourself. Maybe for some of you, it's on a daily basis. But I find myself asking, what is wrong with people? Uh, I just get exasperated at a certain point, and I said, man, what is wrong with the world? What is wrong with people? And I don't know about you, but, but I have some continual triggers. And, and one of my triggers involves going to the bathroom. I, I, I went on a trip last month, and I just found myself enraged everywhere I went. And guys, I'm going to pick on you because I'm not with the ladies at that point in the day. I'm with you guys. Um, but like, we don't wash our hands. It is disgusting how many of us don't wash our hands. Do we not remember what happened in 2020? Do you not remember the happy birthday to you? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. You know, like, guys, we got to wash our hands. What's wrong with us? Uh, it, just, it just exasperates me. And then I go grocery shopping. How much effort, how hard is it? To walk 10 feet and return your grocery cart. Like, come on. I feel like every job interview should involve two things. You should take the person to a restaurant and see how they treat the wait staff. And two, you should go grocery shopping and see if they return the shopping cart. Because if you treat the wait staff like crap and you don't return the cart, I don't want you working for me. And you probably should be working for somebody else. Like, these are just basics. And then I get on my phone. And open up social media, and I'm like, man, what is wrong with people? We just feel so much freedom to be royal jerks to people we don't know through our thumbs. And I just find myself going, man, what is wrong with people? What is wrong with the world? And then on a macro level, we watch what's happened in the last few weeks in the Middle East. And we watch just the brokenness and the depravity and the evil of humanity. You go, man, what is what is the answer to all of this? Like, where did we go wrong? And some of that is, is really the, the ground that we're going to stand in and move through with this series we begin today called Rediscovering Jonah. Because my hope over the next few weeks is that you would either discover this book for the first time or rediscover it. Because a lot of us, if, if you grew up in church, maybe you're aware of the Sunday school version of this story about somebody who gets swallowed by a fish, or is it a whale? We'll cover that next week. But, but that, that part of the story is like this much. It's like if, if you told a Star Wars fan, you know, that that's not the movie about the droids who get lost, and you're like, it's like the first 10 minutes. There's so much more to the story of Star Wars than that, and there's so much more to the story of Jonah. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into this very short book, it's actually 1,082 words long. Not that long at all. But this book that I believe has some profound lessons to teach us and is profoundly relevant for the moment we're stepping into. So if you have a, a, a handout, I'm going to give you some background on Jonah as we get started this morning. Jonah was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel, this blue space right here in uh, after the reign of King Solomon, the, the nation of Israel, which had been one, was split into two. And the northern kingdom, which represented ten tribes, was a part of Israel with the capital of Samaria. The southern kingdom was two tribes. The capital is Jerusalem. And so Jonah was a prophet sent to that northern kingdom. And he served during the reign of a king, King Jeroboam II, who had one of the longest reigns in Israel and who was a profoundly evil and wicked king. Not a good guy. Bad guy. But, but Jonah kind of makes his fame. And the reason we know about him and what he did is that there's one verse in the book of 2 Kings 14 
that tells us about the outcome of one of the things that Jonah prophesied. In 2 Kings 14, it says he, and that he is Jeroboam II, restored Israel's border from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel. The Lord of the Lord had spoken through his servant, the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai from Gath-Hefer. Like this is the only thing we have in the Old Testament other than Jonah about Jonah. That we know he was a prophet under this king. We know this is where he lived. And we know that he had spoken that Israel was going to grow its territory. And, And from this, and from what I've been reading with scholars, it's very clear, and this is maybe hard to hear, but Jonah was highly nationalistic. He was, he was committed to his country. He loved his country. That's patriotism. But he wasn't just patriotic. He was nationalistic. He believed that for his country to thrive and flourish, it meant other countries couldn't. And so this book about Jonah it would have been not an easy book to hear. Though it, though it bears the name Jonah, this book wasn't written to Jonah. It was written to Israel, and it was using Jonah's story. And so I will just tell you that Jonah is a prophetic book that would have been very challenging for Israel to read. It would have been a short read. I mean, it would have been like a thousand words. I mean, how long does it take you to read? Ten minutes? But it would have been very challenging to read. I believe two things. Jonah is the worst prophet in all of the Old Testament. And Jonah would have been the hardest book for the people of Israel to read. It would not have been a New York Times bestseller. It would not have been books that people passed around to each other. It would have been hard. And so if at any point over the next five weeks, you're like, Scott, this is really challenging. You're reading it right. Because if it's challenging for them and it doesn't challenge us, then somehow we're missing it. So what we're going to do today is we're going to dive into chapter 1 of Jonah. And so I'd encourage you, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Jonah chapter 1. If you're like, Scott, where is Jonah? Because it's supposed to be that short. How do I not miss it? Well, it's in the section of your Bible called the Minor Prophets. So you pass Psalms, you end up in the Major Prophets, which are the long ones. That's what the word major means. Then you end up in the Minor Prophets, that's the shorter ones. And you're looking for the book of Jonah. If you get to Malachi and Matthew, you've gone too far. And what we're going to see in the book of Jonah is the book of Jonah is going to challenge us and our view of God. It's not going to challenge us with how we view Jonah, although I think you're going to see much more about this guy than you've ever seen before. But this book is going to challenge us about how we view God because that's what Jonah was challenged with what he believed about God. And so we're going to take this first chapter in chunks today. So beginning with the first three verses, let's dive in. The book begins this way. The Lord of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. That's why it's good that we have 2 Kings 14, as we know, okay, who this guy is. That message came to Jonah, and the message was from God, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. So Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found the ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. The first thing, if you're taking notes today, that that we learn from this text is that when God's word comes to us, it often produces discomfort and invites change. 
A lot of us would say, man, I wish God would speak to me. I wish I could hear from God. I long to, to know what God wants for me. But, but the challenge is, and many of you know this very well, is that when God's word comes to us, it is not always a beautiful present on Christmas morning. Sometimes when God's word comes to us, it makes us actually more uncomfortable, not more comfortable. And, and, and many times it doesn't just bless us and encourage us to stay where we are. It invites us to change. And so when, when Jonah opens with the word of the Lord came to Jonah, it is a hard and challenging word that Jonah gets because he is told to go and preach to the great city of Nineveh. Now, most of us, when we hear great, we think like good, like dinner last night. Oh, that was great. This weather this weekend. Oh, it's great. But when it came to Nineveh, great was a word with two meanings. First, Nineveh was a great city. It was massive. It was known across the ancient world as one of the most beautiful cities in terms of architecture. It was a, a massive city with massive influence. It was the capital of the, the people of Assyria, and people from around the world would come to see the beauty of this city. It was a great city. But it was also a great city, not in a positive way, but in a wicked way. Commentators writing about Nineveh that I read this week said two things. One, Nineveh was a terrorist state, that's, that's a loaded phrase, with as gory and blood-curling a history as we know. Now let's be honest, humans have set the bar really high for gory and blood-curling. Like if you watch the History Channel or you read biographies or you remember your history classes, like humanity has been brutal. You think about some of the wickedest empires or the, the wickedest rulers or, or the worst despots or the, the worst, you know, like dictators. And if as a historian you're saying this is the goriest, man, that's an award that nobody wants to win. And, and, and commentators described, and I see there's some kids in the room, so I don't want to get emails for the things I, sh I share with your kids this morning. Let me just tell you, you would, not to, you would not want to have been a captive of Nineveh because they did everything they could to make your end as brutal for you and as terrible for the people who are watching. And so what God says to Jonah at the beginning of the book is go there, and preach to them. Well, how do you think that's going to go? I mean, what kind of audience is Jonah going to step into? What kind of response is he going to get? If people that are this bad hear from God, by the way, you're so bad, judgment is coming. One commentator said that God sending Jonah to Nineveh would have been like a Jewish rabbi going to Nazi Germany to preach in 1941. How would that have gone? Because the Assyrians were as opposed to the Jews as the Nazis were to the Jews. And God says, go to them. Preach to them. And this was a radical moment because this is the very first time that there has ever been a Jewish prophet sent to a Gentile city. Up until now, Jewish prophets were sent to Jewish people. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, all these guys were sent 
as Jews to Jews, and now we have a Jewish prophet going to Gentiles and not the good ones, the worst ones. And so that's why I feel like maybe the most understated thing I could say in summary to that is God gives difficult callings. We think about the calling of God. You know, I want, I feel like God's calling me to this. Sometimes the things God calls us to are profoundly difficult and incredibly uncomfortable. And they don't make sense. And, and for Jonah, what didn't make sense about this calling is if you're called to preach to someone, I know this is a wild thought, the idea is they would respond to it. Like my hope in preaching to you today is that you hear it. I know it's a wild thought. But if you think about it, if God is sending him to preach to these people who are violent and evil and wicked and terrorists, then that means God is giving them an opportunity to respond, to turn from their wicked ways, and to experience mercy and forgiveness. And that was the idea that sent Jonah running in the opposite direction. Because for Jonah, he was asking himself, how can God be merciful and forgiving to people who've been that violent and that evil? Why doesn't God just smite them off the earth? Why doesn't God just rain down fire from heaven? Why give them a chance to experience your mercy and forgiveness? Jonah could not reconcile how God could be just and also be merciful. And his big crisis comes in the second verse when he realizes that the God he thought he was worshiping is not like the God he discovers. And he has profound doubts about this God. And, and you may not have been sent to go preach to a terrorist state, but many of you know what it's like to wrestle with doubt amidst difficulty. Many of you know what it's like to receive a difficult calling from God. A diagnosis. A challenge in your family. A child that you're going to raise that is not going to live the life that you were expecting when you were hoping to conceive. And those difficulties, like Jonah's, raise profound questions about God. Like this one, does God have my best interests in mind? Does God really love me? Is God really good? And that's why Jonah runs in the opposite direction because what happened is Jonah wanted a God who hated who he hated and loved who he loved. He wanted God to love his people and hate the Ninevites because that's the way their nation worked and he expected his God to operate like that. Well, friends, if God hates everyone you hate and God loves everyone you love, then are you worshiping God or yourself? Now, I need to be honest, that's an aggressive question. But that's the question that Jonah raises for us. 
is have we made God in our image and we expect him to just reflect back to us everything we believe? Or is God actually different than us? I'm not sure who said it. It's been repeated many times before, but God created man in his own image and man has been returning the favor ever since. And so what happens for Jonah is he says, I, I am struggling to worship a God like that. So he's living here in Samaria. He goes down the Joppa, the major port, and instead of going north, northeast to Nineveh, he goes due west to Tarshish. This is literally the whole world for this era. I mean, they're not aware of Beijing or Moscow or what become Los Angeles or Sao Paulo or Johannesburg. This was the whole world. And he went as far away from Nineveh as he could get. The opposite direction. Because God introduced a calling and a message to him that produced intense discomfort and invited him to change. And he's like, I don't want to be that uncomfortable and I don't want to change. And part of what this shows us is though Jonah was a prophet of God, he had never experienced and come face to face with the mercy and grace of God. And you can't preach grace unless you've experienced grace. And many of us function with this idea that we earn God's love or we earn God's favor. And until we realize that everything we have from God is grace, we can't tell people about that because we've never experienced it. So the first thing we see from Jonah is that when God's word comes to us, it often produces discomfort and invites change. Let's go on in in Jonah to Jonah chapter 1. We'll we'll begin in verse 4, and I will just tell you this is the longest chunk I'm going to read today, so uh, get comfortable. Beginning in verse 4, Catherine, you can keep them up to date. It says, But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose in the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. Good for him. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing asleep? Get up! Call to your God! Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lot singled out Jonah. And they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? And he answered them, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, What is this that you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. And he answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, The men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. The second thing we see in Jonah 1 is that when we run from God's calling, we find God chasing after us with grace. 
Jonah decides that he's going to run from God. And what we find in the story is, is God goes after Jonah. In your Bible, it says that God threw a great storm. That word threw is the same word that'd be used for an archer throwing an arrow. And it's like God launched a storm onto the sea. These were incredibly experienced seafaring people to lead a voyage from one side of the earth to the other in that day. They would not have gone in the middle of winter or stormy season. They wouldn't have gone through the middle of their hurricane season. This storm was out of nowhere. It came from God. And it says that there was a great wind, the same word for great that was used for Nineveh, interestingly. And so this storm is unleashed on the sea and the sailors don't know where it came from. They're shocked. And so they turn and begin to respond to it. And what we see in this story is that the hero of the story should be Jonah. He's the prophet. But again and again, Jonah will be the goat. And I don't mean greatest of all time. I mean, he'll be the goat of the story. The people who are in the boat, the sailors, what do they do? Well, the first thing they do is they cry out to God. Now, they're not worshiping the God that threw this on the sea or the God that called Jonah to Nineveh. They're worshiping all of their local deities from the place they're from. They cry out to God. Well, the storm keeps raging. So they grab their boxes and they throw the tackle and the, and the shipping materials overboard in case they sink, that the ship will float. Then the, the captain comes down to Jonah, who's sleeping through this. And he says, get up, do something, pray to your God. Look in your Bible. What doesn't happen? He doesn't pray. These godless people are begging the prophet of God to pray. And what does he refuse to do? He refuses to pray. It's interesting. The same kind of thing happens in the gospels. Jesus and his disciples are out on a boat. Jesus is sleeping the whole way through it. A storm comes up and the disciples go, Jesus, wake up, wake up, wake up. And what does Jesus do? He calms the storm. What Jonah couldn't and wouldn't, one day Jesus will. And then they decide they're going to cast lots. And casting lots was an ancient way of determining what was true or what was needed in a situation. It often involved stones or sticks. You've done this before where you got four or five sticks and the short one was going to get to do it. That's basically a version of casting lots. And the lot falls to Jonah. They go, it was you. You're the reason we're here. You're the one who messed up. And then they begin to interrogate Jonah. They go, what is your business? And where are you from? And what is your country? And which people are you from? They just go after him. Because they know this is his fault. And the text says that somewhere along the way, he tells them that he's been running from God. Eventually, Jonah realizes that this storm is God's doing. And he accepts responsibility. But what we don't see yet, we'll see this next week when we dive into chapter 2, is that Jonah has not truly repented yet. He says, "This, this storm is my fault. But it doesn't say I was wrong to not go to Nineveh. He doesn't say I was wrong to not want to preach to those people. He doesn't say I was wrong to run from the Lord. He just calls a spade a spade and he goes, hey, I'm kind of done. So just throw me into the sea. And again, because the, 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 the story hadn't been written, Jonah had no reason to expect how the chapter ends with him being swallowed by an animal. You've got to get that out of your head. You know the story. He didn't. He was living the story. I mean, what are you going to get for Christmas this year? Unless your spouse told you what you're going to get, you don't know. Why? Because it's October. When Jonah says, throw me into the sea, I think it was his way of giving up and saying, I would rather die 
than go to Nineveh. See, he hasn't really repented yet. He owned his mistake, but he hasn't repented. And so he tells these guys, just, just throw me into the sea, let me die, it's fine. And these, you know, non-God-worshipping pagan sailors are so righteous, they won't do it. So they try, to, they try to row the boat and row the boat and row the boat. These guys are, are like the people in the story you should be like. And it's this reminder that God cares how we treat our neighbors. God cares how we, we treat people. There's a story in the New Testament where kind of similar character. A man goes down on a, on a road. He gets beaten by robbers. And who passes him by? The righteous people. Who saves him? The Samaritan. The Samaritan in that story are like the sailors in this story. They come out looking sterling. While Jonah comes out looking terrible. And what we hear from Jonah is that attitude again. As one commentator, Daniel Timmer, said, since Jonah identifies himself first ethnically, then religiously, he said, I'm a Hebrew, and then he says, I worship the Lord, we may infer that his ethnicity is foremost in his self-identity. He saw himself first and foremost as a Hebrew before he saw himself as a worshiper of God. The root of who Jonah was was not that he was a worshiper of God, the root of Jonah is that he was a Hebrew. Question for you, what's, what's the root of who you are? What's the most fundamental thing about you? When you dig down, like you're digging down to get to the bottom of roots, what is down there? Is it your job? Is it where you live? Is it the people you're related to? Is it your accomplishments? Is it your faith? Is it your nationality? This is, this is the reason why we can actually know the answer to the question, how can a person profess faith in Christ and be a racist or be greedy or be addicted or be controlling or be abusive? It's because when you dig down to the root of who they are, you don't find Christ. You find something else. Something else is more fundamental than Christ. That's why you get all these other negative adjectives that those are actually the root of who they are. And what we see in this story again and again is Jonah chooses his love for his nation over God's love for the nations. He won't even pray for them. I mean, how hard-hearted do you have to be to not pray for other people who are about to die? And, and regardless, God's still chasing after him. Like that song we sing, Reckless Love, here on Sundays, God is chasing him down and running him down with this storm. When we run from God's calling, what we find is God chases after us with his grace. And then we see how this chapter ends, and this is going to be a bit of a cliffhanger, so you've got to come back next week. It says, so they called out the sailors, please, Lord. And again, this, this word, Lord, in your Bible it is translated Yahweh. It's the same word that is used all throughout the Old Testament by the worshipers of God, and these pagans use it. Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life, and don't charge us with innocent blood, for you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. They picked up Jonah, they threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The third thing we learn from this story is this, that when we turn towards God, we fall into his mercy and grace. We don't have to earn it. 
We don't have to prove our deserving of it. We fall back into it. And what we see in in this final section of chapter one is the sailors, they do what, what Jonah asked them to do, but they're apologetic for it. Like they do it begrudgingly. They do it as their last option. And to a God that they haven't heard about and have never worshiped, they, they offer repentance to that God. They say, God, we are sorry that we're doing this. Please do not have his blood come back on us. We grieve that we're doing it. And, I mean, and it had to just be completely disorienting and bewildering that as soon as Jonah goes under the surface, the sea... It's like glass. Have you ever had a moment in life where it felt like whiplash? Like things were crazy and chaotic and all of a sudden. Maybe you have small children and it's that moment they finally lose consciousness. Praise Jesus. And you're like two minutes ago in here, it was like World War III. And what happens in that moment is that these people who had not worshiped God before, they begin to do all of the things that we should do as worshipers of God. They praise God. They said, Lord, you've done as you've pleased. God, you're you're sovereign. You're in charge. You're not going to do what we tell you to do or we make you do. You're going to do what pleases you. They experienced conversion. The text tells us they were seized by a great fear of the Lord and they made vows to them. This this is not a foxhole conversion like, God, if you save me, I I will do this for you. God has already saved them. And on the other side of salvation, they respond with faith. And that tells us they worship the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord while on the sea. It's profound. Maybe the funniest thing I read all week in preparing for this message was from Daniel Timmer. He said, Jonah's anti-missionary activity has ironically resulted in the conversion of non-Israelites. Jonah's the worst missionary ever, but guess what? Even God still uses him. He doesn't love the people in Nineveh and runs from them. He doesn't care about the people and the boat has to be awakened. He won't pray for them, but, but God loves them. God cares for them and God works to draw them close to him. And what we see in this text, and we'll see as we go on in this series, is God is merciful to Jonah, and Jonah does not get what he deserves. I mean, what do you, what do you deserve when God gives you a calling and you're like, nope, I'm going the other way, as far as I can get? I won't pray for these people. I won't do what you say. Like, what, what do you deserve? Certainly not what Jonah gets. He gets rescued. And the truth is, none of us get what we deserve. None of us get what we deserve. And that's good news. I mean, what do you deserve for the failures you've had in the past? What do you get for all the moments you've blown it? When, when you spoke before you thought, and you tried to grab those words and put them back in your mouth. When the people who were closest to you got the worst version of you. When you fell short even of your own expectations, you didn't get what you deserve, and that's good news. We call that grace. None of us alive on earth right now have gotten what we deserve because God is in the business of giving grace to people who don't deserve it. And that's still scandalous today, 2,700 years after Jonah's story. What we see in the text is that, that Jonah ultimately becomes a substitute 
He gives himself up so that all of these sailors can live. In, in John 15, Jesus famously said, no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. In some ways, what we see here is a picture of what Jesus will one day do for us. Jesus gives himself for us that we might live. That because of his stripes, as Isaiah said, we are healed. Because of his wounds, we are made whole. And here's what Jesus said about Jonah in Matthew 12. This is the only mention of Jonah in the New Testament. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation, and they will condemn this generation because they repented at Jonah's preaching. Spoiler alert. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. We worship a God who who comes and does everything that Jonah failed to do. Jesus succeeds in every place that Jonah fell short. Jesus came in response to God's calling to come and do for us what we didn't deserve. And that's why the big idea is this. The book of Jonah reveals the surprising character of God. Over the next five weeks, you're going to see that God is so much more than you thought he was. Over the next five weeks, you're going to see a God that may make you uncomfortable, like he did Jonah. You're going to see God do things that maybe you wouldn't do if you were God. I mean, that's good news, that you're not God. And we're going to wrestle not with the character of Jonah in this series. We're going to wrestle with the character of God. So on the back of your sheet where you found your big idea, I've got some next steps for you this morning. The first one is this. I want you to reflect on the difficult callings in your life and your response to them. What are the things in the past or maybe in the present that God has called you to do and how have you responded to them? Have you embraced them? Have you run towards the you know, equivalent of Tarshish? How have you responded when God has spoke something to you that was hard to hear? What did you do when that happened? Number two, I want you to answer the question, who is your Nineveh? Who are the people in your world? They could be actual people with names and faces. They could be a group. They could be a certain ethnicity. Who are the people that you believe are beyond the reach of God's mercy and grace and do not deserve a chance to turn from what they've done? This is not just a story where we're going to go, what happened to Jonah? Good for him. I told you this book is going to challenge you because it would have challenged them. And I think we all have a Nineveh. I think part of us is all like Jonah. And part of embracing and engaging and studying the story is putting ourselves in it too. Third thing I want to ask you to do is I want you to read the book of Jonah each week during this series. I want you to write down what stands out to you. I told you, it's a thousand words long. I'm not a reader well, if you can't stomach a thousand words, open your Bible app, push the little volume button, and it will be read to you in less than 10 minutes. You can do this. As you leave today, we're going to give you a little card on the front of it. It says Jonah on the back of it. It tells you about reading every day and then where we're headed each week. You will notice a typo. It says Octo instead of October. I felt bad, and then I got a note because I live in Chino Valley that was a, 
a ballot error. They spelled cell, S-E-E, so I felt better about myself that there's a typo in my thing too. So we're going to invite you to take one of these home if you're watching online. You'll be able to see this on our social media later today, but we're going to ask you to read this every week so that you're reading it and you're having your own experience with it, and then you're coming on Sunday and I'm sharing with you what I've been learning, okay? And then finally, number four, we're going to invite you to join us in fasting and prayer this Thursday. As Jake mentioned, on three Thursdays in a row, last Thursday, this Thursday, and the second, as a church, we're inviting you to come together with us to fast and pray, and then if you're available, to pray with us on Thursday night. Because we're going to see in a couple weeks what God does in response to people who pray and fast for his work in their life. Because we want God here. We want him to move here. And it may come with making us uncomfortable, but if God comes here and he speaks, we'll take the discomfort. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that that you care enough about us to tell us the truth, even if it's hard. And so we pray that, that you would reveal to us the places where we are in desperate need of your mercy and grace. And we pray that day by day and week by week, you be making us into people who preach and live your grace because we've experienced it. And in the places in our lives where we've been refusing to give it, where we have Ninevehs that are beyond it, we pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear that. That our hearts wouldn't be hardened towards you, but they'd be softened. We pray we would learn from Jonah's story. That we would be people who love you more than anything else and love what you love. Show us the places where we've made you in our own image so that we can repent from that. Thank you for your word and the gift that it is to us. Thank you for how it's been preserved over thousands of years so that you can speak to us through it. We pray that you build our lives on truth and on you. In your name we pray, amen.